This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com Major funding for this Tanya class is provided by the Mettel Corporation. Additional funding is provided by Tanya students like you. Lessons in Tanya The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi Taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg We are in the middle of chapter 44. Last week we started. The last chapter we learned there are two, two different types of loves that a Jew has to Hashem. One is a great love, which is a gift that comes from above. It's not man-made. It's not something that we can achieve on our own. It's a gift, a love of ecstasy, where you're simply ecstatic and find so much pleasure in godliness. This is a gift from Hashem. A love of ecstasy, an all-consuming love of ecstasy. And godliness, almost like an end in itself, it's almost like a reward. Just having the pleasure of just being together with God and just feeling so ecstatic about godliness, this is a gift. It's not humanly achievable. Because we get ecstatic about other things. Naturally, we don't get ecstatic about godliness, godly things. Well, maybe you have that gift. Maybe you have that gift. This is a gift that comes from Hashem. When a person has done everything that's humanly possible, then your whole being, your whole personality becomes completely transformed in this love of pleasure, a love of the light. Then, there's, that's what he calls Ava Rabba, the great love, the great um, intense love. Then you have what he calls Ava's Ailam, a love that comes from the world, from understanding and appreciating how God is the soul of the world, and, and, uh, and therefore you have a love, you develop a love towards Hashem. So this is a love that your mind develops. You develop through meditation, through reflection, through contemplation. You dwell, you focus until you develop a love, an attraction, appreciation towards godliness. That was chapter 43. Last week we started chapter 44, where he says that there are two types of loves which are a combination of the first love, Avarabha, and the second love, Avasailam. Avarabha comes from above. The gift. Avas the love that we develop, cultivate through our mind, there are as many types of loves as there are Jews. Because every one of us is a unique personality, a unique individual. And therefore, we also have our unique paths, our unique gates to Hashem. And we develop a relationship with Hashem, develop a feeling towards a love towards Hashem. We think differently, we process information differently, no two people look alike. So every one of us has a unique path to God. When it comes to the mitzvah, we're all, we're all alike. 
the mitzvot, we have a code of Jewish law that spells out clearly how we're supposed to light the Shabbos candles, how we're supposed to put on the tefillah. Whether you're Moses, or you're a cobbler, a tailor, whether you're 13-year-old or 99-year-old, there's no difference. When it comes to the law, the law is applicable all across the board, equally applicable. When it comes to the matters of the heart, the inner, the soul, there's no code of Jewish law because everyone has a unique soul, everyone has a unique mind, everyone has a unique approach to Hashem. So there are as many types of loves as there are Jews. But then, he said, there's, a com- there's two, two loves which are a combination of these two loves. On one hand, it's a gift. But on the other hand, because it's something that we're born with as Jews, it's part of our nature, it's our, part of our inherent nature. But on the other hand, you have to use your mind to be able to develop, to be able to evoke this love, this natural, instinctive love. So the first love that we discussed last week was the love of, because God is my soul. As Isaiah says, my soul yearns. I yearn for you. The Zohar says, it makes no sense. I, I yearn for you. A double repetition. And the Zohar explains that the proper interpretation of the verse is nafshi, my soul it's not me, I but Isaiah is speaking to God, he's saying God, nafshi you are my soul, therefore I desire you when you realize that God is your soul just like the body has a soul what's the body without the soul? the body is a corpse we hunger for life, we desire life the deepest pleasure is the desire to live we want life we take it for granted. But if God forbid our life is threatened, or if we feel weak, or we don't have any energy, we want to live, we want to be passionate, we want to feel alive, then we appreciate the power, the intensity of this desire to live. So just like, what does a person want in life? It's not the body, the physical. The physical is the corpse. It's the energy. We're looking for energy, for soul, for life. So when you realize your soul also has a life, what's the, what's the life of your soul? Just like your body has a soul, your soul also has a soul. What is the life of your soul? What is the soul of your soul? It's Hashem. It's godliness. It's the infinite. Hashem. So just like a person yearns for his soul, and when you feel sluggish, or you feel, you feel run down, you yearn that life, you want to be vibrant again, you want to feel energetic again, you want to feel alive. When you miss your life and you want it so badly, so too when you realize that Hashem, for a Jew, Hashem is the soul of my soul. What is my life? What is life? Life to us is godliness. When do I feel alive? If I'm connected to to godliness. If I study Torah, then I feel alive. If I don't study Torah, and I don't have anything godly in my life, I feel dead. I can be alive, I can be energetic and vibrant, and but it's, to me it's not life. When does a Jew feel alive? When do you feel rejuvenated? When you're connected with Hashem. Hashem is the soul of my soul. And therefore for a Jew, Judaism is not religion. That's why for a Jew, Judaism is a way of life. 
Religion is compartmentalized. Religion is something that you do. Certain times, certain moments, certain days, weekends. Life, you never take a break from life. Life is 24-7. You don't take a moment's break for life. Life is all-encompassing. Every cell of your body is alive. Not just your brain, your heart. Every cell in your body, even your hair, every part of you is alive. has life. It's connected. So, for a Jew, Judaism permeates. Our connection to God permeates every aspect of our life. Not only on Shabbat, not only on Yom Kippur. 24-7, wherever we are, even when we're standing at the office, going about our career, whatever we may be doing. Because it's life. To us, godliness is life. And therefore, we can't get enough of it. When do we feel this? Isaiah says, my, God, you're my, you're my soul, and therefore I desire you by Lila at night. Because at night, when you're deprived of that life, that's when you appreciate it. That's when it hits home. That's when you feel the intensity of the desire to live, to feel alive. So too, it's especially at night that a Jew wakes up in the morning, as the Zohar says, jumps out of bed and wakes up in the middle of the night. Even when he's not obligated to learn. It's a time to sleep. But he can't sleep. He jumps out of bed. It's not a question of fulfilling obligation. not a question of obligation. Not obligation. It's life. Life has no limits. Obligation, if you, obligation is religion. You're obligated, you're not obligated. You, you have your duties, you have your responsibilities. But when Judaism becomes your life, you can't get enough. You go way beyond the letter of the law. You go way beyond obligations. I can't wait. I, can't, I jump out of bed in the morning, before dawn or at midnight. And I study Torah. Because this is life. This is godliness. I need to plug in. I need to get some life. It's only when I study Torah that I feel alive. I feel godly. I've recharged my batteries. You feel vibrant. You feel alive. Otherwise, the Jew doesn't feel alive. A day goes by, you don't study Torah. A day goes by, you don't do a mitzvah. You feel, inside, you feel hollow, shallow, and dead inside. Like imagine a person who was born with a gift, a talent. A day goes by and, you know, the musician doesn't play or the writer doesn't write or whatever talent God gave you. Is that day is an empty, hollow, shallow day. You live, externally you live, but inside... You're dead. You didn't tap into that life. You didn't live. So for a Jew, godliness is life. It's not a luxury. It's not icing on the cake. It's not extracurricular. Oh, it's nice if I meditate. It's nice if I become Kabbalistic. It's nice if I can add this to my life. I'll add flavor to my life. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a nice addition to my life. It's life. Without life, what's the alternative to life? Without life, is death. There's nothing. And I want to live. More than anything in the world, I want to live. So once you realize that God is my life, then you have a love, just like you have a love for life. You want life. You want to feel energized. You want to feel passionate. You want to feel alive and vibrant. And So too, a Jew has developed, feels this love for Hashem. Because Hashem, that's my life. Without Hashem, I feel dead. And this comes naturally to a Jew. We're born with it. It's innate. It's inherent. You have a Jewish mother, you're born with a soul, you have this feeling. But, that's why it's compared to Avarabba, the great intense love. It's like a gift from Hashem. It's not something you acquire. It's, it's a gift. You're born with this sense. 
that God is my life. That's what every Jew feels deep down. But it's buried, it's hidden, it's submerged. You have to use your mind to realize this. You have to think about it. It's only when you stop and think about it and you realize, hey, this is life. This is not religion. How many Orthodox Jews go through their life and go through the motion and fulfill their duties and do everything right? It's lifeless, soulless, passionless, joyless. So they, they're doing the mitzvah. They have this innate love and yet they're completely dis- disconnected, oblivious. They have to think with their hearts. So they have, first they have to realize. First you have to think, period. First you have to think with your mind. First you have to think, you have to be aware. If you think about it and you realize, what's my life? For a Jew, Judaism is not religion. Judaism is life. I live for this. If you look at Judaism as religion and duty as an obligation, you do the beer minimum. It's like paying income taxes. You do what you have to. You speak to the good expert. You speak to find yourself a good rabbi and cut every corner that, that's legal. And, <laughs> and, you know, I've done my obligation. I'm in court, in the court of law. They can't, uh, no complaints. But, but that's not Judaism. In other words, that's an obligation that you get rid of. Okay, let me do my duty. Now I can go back to my own personal, private life and live and enjoy myself. For a Jew, Judaism is life. This is what I live for. I wake up at night. It's not a question of duty. This is what I live for. You want to know what a person is about? It's what they do in their free time. What do they do in their free time? There's no obligation, no duty, no responsibility. What do you do in your free time? (laughs) When you're supposed to be in bed sleeping and a Jew jumps out of bed to study Torah. That means that's your life. This is not duty, religion, obligation. This, this is what you live for. This is what you look forward to. This is what keeps you going. This is what you aspire to. This is your inner life. It's not a question of quantity. Maybe the majority of your time is spent doing business. And you're busy. Who has time? It's the quality. You know, you want to know what a person's all about. It's, it's, you can see when they live it up. You know, this, is, this, this moment, this is what he looks forward to. This, this is when I come alive. This is what I aspire to. This gives me the energy to... This is what I live for. Judaism, for a Jew, Judaism is life. It's a love. It's a love affair we have with Hashem. It's, this is my life. God is my life. This is my soul, the soul of my soul. I can't live without it. This is what I live for. Then Judaism comes alive. It's passionate. It's joyful. It's vibrant. It's alive. It's not mechanical by rote, external, superficial, empty, meaningless. I can't get enough, just like you can't get enough of life. You can't get enough of Torah, you can't get enough of mitzvah. And you do it with all your heart and all your soul. This is a love. So it's a love that you have to cultivate and develop, but really you just have to reveal. You just have to reveal that innate, inherent love that's there. But you have to, you have to realize it, you have to wake up, you have to realize it, you have to be aware, and you have to think and meditate and reflect. So it's a combination of these two. On one hand, it's a love that's shared by all Jews. Because every Jew who is born to a Jewish mother or someone who converts halachically has this innate love. So it's shared. But on the other hand, since every one of us has to reveal it, it's not something that comes naturally. Naturally it's submerged. You're not in touch with it naturally. You have to think about it and realize it and, and until, until it, it leaps at you, until you jump up and realize and you feel that love therefore 
it's also very individual. Because our path to that love is different. How we evoke that love and how we arouse that love. So it's a combination of these two loves, of a love that we develop versus a love that's a gift from Hashem. So it's like a gift because it's innate, inherent. But on the other hand, it's not like a gift because we have to work for it. Although, once we do work, all we're doing is just revealing something that's there. We're revealing this hidden treasure that we all have within us. Almost this natural love that we have to So this is one love, and that's what we learned last week. And this week is going to discuss a higher love, a greater love, which also comes naturally for every Jew. It's innate, inherent. All Jews are equal. But on the other hand, in order to evoke this love, to reveal this love, you have to work. You have to think about it. It doesn't just come naturally. You don't get in touch with it naturally. You have to meditate and reflect and cultivate and develop until you allow this love to emerge into your consciousness. That's what we're holding this week. Um, so we are in page 654. A greater and more intense love than this example than the love which results from realizing that God is one's true soul in life. A love which is likewise concealed in every soul of Israel as an inheritance from our ancestors is that which is defined in Raya Mahemna. In description of Moses' divine service, like a son who strives for the sake of his father or mother, whom he loves even more than his own body, soul, and spirit, sacrificing his life for his father and mother in order to redeem them from captivity. This manner of service is not limited to Moses alone. It is within the province of every Jew. For have we not all one father? Just as Moses possessed this love because God is his father, so, too, every Jew can possess this love, for God is equally our This is a portion of the Zoya called the Faithful Shepherd. And this was spoken or said by Moshe. And he said that there's, there's a love like a son loves his father. And a son can love his father more than he can love himself. And he's ready to sacrifice everything for his father. He's even ready to give up his life for his father. That's how much he loves his father. In a sense, this love is greater than the previous love. Because the previous love, when you love God like life itself, like you love your own life, your energy, your life, and you love God like life itself, what a powerful love, what an intense love. But what do you, and, and it motivates you as a result to study Torah and do mitzvah. When you love God like life itself, what do you want? You want to live. It's not you as opposed to... You want to live, right? You want to live. You want to continue to live. But you know that what's life? If you want to be alive, when do you truly... When are you truly alive? It's only when you study Torah, when you plug in and you're connected and you're studying Torah and you're doing mitzvahs, only then are you alive and you feel alive. And that's why you, you, you love to study and you love to do mitzvahs and you can't get enough of it but not to the extent that you're ready to sacrifice your being, your existence in the country. You want to preserve your life. But the ultimate love is when you're ready to sacrifice your life. That's a much greater love. Just like a son loves his father, that he's ready to sacrifice his life for his father. That's how much he loves him. So when a Jew realizes that God is my father, as we say, Avinu, 
Malkeinu, Avinu, our Father. It's a very personal relationship. Father-son relation is very personal. God is my Father. It's not an abstract, God is the energy, and God is the infinite, and God is life. That, that's Avinu, this is personal. My Father. My Father. I'm a son. And, and I'm so intimate and I'm so connected that I'm ready to die. I'm ready to give up my life. I love my father so much. I'm ready to do anything to help my father or whatever. So when a Jew feels such a personal, intimate love for Hashem, and you really feel and you can say clearly and openly, Avinu, my father, I'm talking to God, my father, you're my father. And you feel that way towards Hashem. That's when a Jew prays. When a Jew prays, it's like a son talking to a father, a child talking to his parent. Versus when you learn Torah, it's more like a student sitting and with his teacher. God becomes our teacher. He's teaching us when we study Torah. But when you pray, you're pouring your heart out. You feel like a child can talk to his parent. I can talk openly. I'm speaking openly. So when you have that personal relationship, that intimate relationship, avino, it, it's a it's a different level. It takes you to a different level. It's very intense, very personal, and you're ready to sacrifice life. There's nothing you won't do. It's limitless. Parent-child relationship is limitless. A love that's based on my soul, even though it's not based on ego, but it, God is the soul of my soul. God is my life. And as a result, you want to do godly things, you want to study Torah. But ultimately, it's based on myself. It's about me. I want to live. I want to feel alive. The only way I can feel alive is by plugging in and connecting with Hashem. But a love where you love Hashem like my father, Avinu, parent, that's a very personal relationship. It's a very deep relationship. Avinu. And it's an infinite relationship. It's unconditional. Parent-child relationship is unconditional. It's unconditional love. Both ways. So it, it, there's no limit to that love. When it's a love based on life, there's a limit to the love. I love you as much as life. Not more than life. Not larger than life. As much as life. So I'll do whatever it takes to live and to feel alive. So it means, yes, I'll, I can't get enough of Torah and mitzvah but not more than life, not larger than life. But when you have that love that God is my Father, Avinu, there's no limits. It becomes larger than life. It's, it, it's unconditional, it's undefined. I'm ready to go beyond myself. I'm ready to go beyond my limits. I'm even ready to risk my life for Hashem. That's how much I love Hashem. It's a whole, different, a whole new dimension. It's a whole different level. Much more intense, much deeper, much more profound, much more personal, much more intimate, and infinite. And again, this is a love that's natural for us. It's inherent, innate, and we're born with this love. Because God is our Father. It's the truth. Every Jew is called a child of Hashem. Because we have this innate, inherent connection with Hashem. Just like a child knows his parents instinctively. Every Jew has this faith. We're believers, the children of believers, as we discussed the great length. We learned in chapter 2, lessons in Tanya. So, the relationship is there. 
that unconditional love, that reciprocal unconditional love is there. But it doesn't come natural to us because we're born with egos. We don't, so we don't feel, how many Jews naturally feel, oh, God is my father. And I have this intense love and yearning for God. And I want to be with my father and, I, I, and I'll do anything for my, my father. It doesn't come naturally. We have to reveal this natural love within us. It's there, but we have to reveal it. And revealing it takes effort. You have to think, you have to meditate, you have to reflect until it hits home. Until you evoke that powerful love, you realize that personal connection we have with Hashem. That intimate connection we have with Hashem. Hashem feels towards us like a parent feels towards a child and we feel to Hashem like a child feels towards his parent. You know you can trust your parent 100%. You feel safe with your parent. You can pour your heart out with your parent. It's a different relationship. It's not a stranger. This is my parent. Something special between a parent and child. It doesn't exist with anyone else in the world. And you have that relationship with Hashem. So even though this is a statement made by Moshe Rabbeinu, but it's not limited to Moshe because every Jew is considered a parent. This level of love is more selfless than that described by the phrase, my soul, I desire you. Or love which results from realizing that God in one's true life will only be as intense as a person's desire for life itself. It will not demand total sacrifice, which is the opposite of life. The love of a child for his parents, however, is not limited to his love for life. His parents' lives take precedence over his own, and he is ready to give his very life in order to save theirs. If they're in danger, he's ready to risk everything, because that's how much his parents mean to him. It's an unconditional love. It's unlimited. He's ready to do anything. And although one may ask, who is the man and where is he? Who would dare presume in his heart to approach and attain even a thousandth part of the degree of love felt by Moses, the faithful shepherd. How then do we say that every Jew can feel the same love of God that Moses felt? Nevertheless, a minute portion and particle of his great goodness and, and light illuminates the community of Israel in each generation, as it is stated in Tikkunim, that an emanation from him, Moses, is present in every generation, to illuminate them. Since this luminous particle is found in all Jews in all generations, it thus becomes possible for every Jew, through Moses' goodness and light, to feel the love that he possesses as an inheritance from the patriarchs in a manner similar to that of Moses. So, so he says that although, who can compare it to Moshe? Moshe had this level of love, this intense love, this unconditional, infinite love to Hashem. He really felt, and he spoke to Hashem like a child speaking to a parent. And God couldn't refuse it. Every time he begged and pleaded, how can he refuse? Like when our, our little child, child speaks to us and begs us, we can't say no. It's irresistible, because the relationship is so intimate and so intense and so deep and so unlimited uh, that uh, you know, your heart melts. A child begs, uh, well, well, what's a parent going to do? <laughs> your heart just melts. You can't say no to your child. So Moshe had this relationship with Hashem. But how could we compare it to Moshe? 
we're saying that every Jew has this same relationship, has this same intense love. It's buried, it's there, deep down, each and every Jew has this. And he says, although, who can compare to Maishra? But nevertheless, something, a reflection, a spark of this love, we all have. And where do we get it from? We get it from Maishra. Which begs the question, because we learned earlier in the Tanya, that the natural love that every Jew has for God in chapter 18, where do we get it from? We get it from the patriarchs. We inherit from the patriarchs, from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Sarah, Rivka, Rachel, and Leah. That's where we get our Jewish soul from. So this love, this natural love we have for God, doesn't come from Moshe. It comes from the fact that we're the biological children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, and Leah. Not from Moshe. So why does he say here that we receive this love from Moshe? That his soul illuminates our soul, and we have a spark of that love not in the same degree, not on the same level as Moshe, not even close, but something of it, a spark, just like a spark in comparison to the torch. We have something of it. We don't get this love from Moshe, we get it from the patriarchs. So the Rebbe explains, yes, it's true, that the natural love that every Jew has to God, we get from the patriarchs, not from Moshe. But just like a person who's born wise. So everything about him will be expressed in a wise way. His natural loves that he has will also be expressed with finesse, with wisdom. Even the loves that he has, which seemingly have nothing to do with wisdom, but since he's essentially wise, so everything is expressed in a certain way, in a very wise way. So too, the inherent love that each and every Jew has, who we're born with, that comes from the patriarchs. But how you express that love, that we get from Moshe. Moshe expressed his Jewishness, this innate love that he inherited, he inherited from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He expressed it in a unique way, being that he was Moshe, so he expressed his love in a very intense way. He had this like parent-child relationship with God. Unconditional, infinite love. In a very intense, intense love. So the way, the manner, the way through which Moshe expressed his love, we got some of that from Moshe. The soul of Moshe, we have a spark of that love. Every Jew has a spark of that love within his soul. And therefore, we also are able to express this general love that we're, in, that we're born with, that we inherit from our patriarchs and matriarchs. We're able to express it in the same intense way, in the same manner as Moshe did. That we feel towards God like a parent-child, a parent-child relationship. Very personal, a personal relationship. Very personal and very intense. That's what we get from Moshe. And it's interesting that the nickname for every Jew in Eastern Europe, what was the nickname for every Jew? Mashka. Every Jew is called Mashka. Just like we called every, every Russian poyer, we called Ivan. <laughs> right? The Russian was Ivan. To them, Havdol, the Jew, every Jew is Mashka. To them, there's no Chayim, Berol, Shmerol, Mashka. What does Mashka come from? Moshe. 
Because even the, even the Polak knew, every Jew deep down is a miniature Moshe. Every Jew is a Moshe, because every Jew has a spark of Moshe inside. Moshe was a general soul. He was the faithful shepherd. That's where, that's where this, the portion of the Zoya, where this love is expressed and stated, it's called Raya Mehemna, Moshe, the faithful shepherd. Being a faithful shepherd, his soul illuminated all of our souls from his, from his kindness. He sheared his soul with all of us. And therefore, we have a spark of Moshe inside of us. Deep down, we all have a little spark of Moshe inside of us. If you dig deep inside a Jew, we'll discover a Moshe. We'll discover a miniature Moshe. A spark of Moshe. You have different levels. You have the leaders of the generation. They get a little more than illumination. They, they have a, you know, something of the flame. But every Jew has an illumination, a spark, something of the soul of Moshe. So therefore, we have this capacity also to love Hashem like Moshe loved Hashem, like a parent-child relationship, to express that natural love that we inherited from the patriarchs with his intense personal love, unconditional, infinite love, like a parent-child relationship. And therefore, we're ready to sacrifice ourselves for Hashem. Just like Moshe was ready to sacrifice himself. We all have some, some of that inside of us. We have it equally. Because we're Jewish and because we're connected to Moshe. Every Jew is connected to Moshe. But how do you reveal it? That you have to use your mind. You have to work on it. It doesn't come natural. You have to develop it. You have to cultivate. You have to work on it to evoke this potential love, this spark that's there, deep down inside of us. But to bring it to the surface, we have to work. So again, you have the combination. It's a, it's a love. It's universal. It's like a gift from Hashem. We're all equal. On the other hand, the path, how we get there and how we arouse it within ourselves, this comes from from Moshe. Uh, when you think of you, yourself, for example, you got a <laughs> and you got a beautiful relationship with your children and with your family and all of this. And we're talking about how can a friend have a similar relationship with somebody else who's a friend, right? In other words, it seems like, um, you know, a friend who focuses on a family and all of this, you know, everything is great. But somebody who doesn't have that situation, and, you know, I mean, how can somebody who has a friend focuses on another friend and somehow feel that same kind of situation. Well, I mean, it's great to have, uh, you know, a family and you've got great kids and everything is great and all of this, but how about those people who are alone? And Well, firstly, we're all children. And um, those who don't have this relationship with a parent um, in some very real way it, it pains you and the pain is commensurate to the love that's there and when that love is not manifest when it's dysfunctional 
when the person is dysfunctional, or the situation is dysfunctional, and therefore that, that natural love cannot be manifest, it's, it's painful. And commensurate to the love, that's the pain. That's why it's so painful and it's so personal and it's so, and it's so hurtful and it's so damaging because it's something so deep. Your parents, these are your parents. You can't divorce your parents. It's your essence. Torah says, honor your parents. Because that's the fact. The reality is it's your parents. And if for whatever reason you don't have this loving relationship, it's uh, inherently, the, the, it's there. And the fact that this relationship cannot be manifest in its purity to the extent that it can't be manifest, that's the extent that it pains you. And it creates a tremendous turmoil inside of you. And, it, and it's, it's, it's tremendously painful. But the reality is that that relationship is there. Parent-child relationship is an unconditional, infinite relationship. Now, a person could be dysfunctional. A person could, you know, that seems to be more often than not the human condition, that uh, people are just not connected, people are not in touch with themselves, people are just not... And potential doesn't get realized. And it is fr- it's frustrated. The potential gets frustrated. And that's why there's so much anger. That's why there's so much tension. If you couldn't care less, you wouldn't, you wouldn't have that anger and that tension and that pain. But you can't not care less. It's your parents. It's your, it's your family. So this tremendous anger, tremendous tension, tremendous pain. You know, you can try to be oblivious to it and try to, you know, but you can't. And it shapes you and it affects you very, very deeply because that relationship runs very deep. There's nothing in, deeper in life. As a matter of fact, the title says, if God forbid you lose a parent, you have to mourn a whole year. If you lose a spouse, you mourn 30 days. You lose a child, you mourn 30 days. But if you lose a parent, a whole year. There's nothing like it. There's no relationship in the world like parent-child. Everything else is, you know, is acquired. It's something as deep as it is. You know, you can remarry. You can, it's... it's as deep as it is, it's not... There's only one relationship in the world which is core, essential. That's a parent-child relationship. When God forbid you lose a parent, it's a crack in your foundation. Your whole essence has been cracked. And it takes you a year just to recover. So that relationship is there. It's so deep. It's unconditional. It's infinite. So whatever, whatever blocks it or whatever gets in the way, whatever dysfunction gets in the way, it doesn't change it. And you can't run away from it. And you can't hide from it. It will affect you. If you don't have a healthy relationship, it will affect you. Affect your personality. Affect you. The deep pain, the deep uh, denial, the, the inner turmoil. It leaves scars in you so, that are so deep. You can't just ignore it. It's like ignoring yourself. You can't. It, it's your foundation. It's who you are. That's what the Torah says, honor your parents. You can't run away from it. You must honor your parents. Well, they're not acting like parents. Well, we, our relationship is not wonderful. Well, they're your parents. That relationship is dear. It's a fact. It doesn't say you have to love them. It says honor them. It's, it's a fact. That relationship is there. That connection is there. So the Torah says you have to treat them with respect. The Torah says you have to love every Jew. <laughs> The parent is so not worse than anything. What you're talking about, what does it have to do with what we're talking about now? 
So it's a reality. That relationship is a reality. There's no running away from it. Parent-child relationship is a reality. Whether it's expressed positively or negatively, it's a reality and it's a fact. It informs your very core, your very essence. It's who you are. And when, and when you realize that you have that level of relationship with God, your relationship to Hashem has that same unconditional, you have the same unconditional relationship. You have that same infinite, unconditional relationship. And if you get in touch with it, and you reveal it, and you're able to express it in a beautiful way, not in a dysfunctional way, unfortunately, you see it. You see it sometimes in its dysfunction. When was the last time you met a self-hating Irishman? Self-hating Italian. <laughs> Something like that even exists. Only when it comes to the Jew, a self-hating Jew. It just shows you how deep the relationship is. In their hatred of their Jewishness, they just show you how Jewish they are. The connection is so deep. It's so profound, so intimate, that in their hatred and their denial... Who else but Jews could run around the world and use every opportunity to denigrate Israel and put down the Jewish people, insult, humiliate, offend? There's nothing that we can do right and there's nothing that our enemies can do wrong. I mean, it's mind-boggling. But in this twisted adversity, you see how Jewish they are. Which other people in the nation, which other people in the world give up their own land? In the annals of human history, there's not a single example. Not one example. It's so absurd. It's so distorted. Only a Jew. So in their twisted, this, you see how Jewish they are. You see how deep the relationship runs. It's so dysfunctional. It's so abnormal. You see how deep this relationship runs. There's no running away from it. You can't run away from your Jewish. It is there. It could be buried, hidden. But it's there. It's a living, it's a live wire. So if, but you need your mind to get in touch with it. To be able to express it in a beautiful way, in a loving way. But that relationship is there. So instead of running away from your Jewishness and running and hiding and denying and embrace it, love it, express it, live it, be it. You have a relationship with God. What a, what a Celebrate it. Cherish it. Thank Hashem for this wonderful relationship. And it's only then that you'll be a wholesome person. A Jew can never be wholesome unless they're in touch with their Jewishness. Never. But that relationship is there. But you have to use your mind and you have to use your effort in order to allow this relationship to emerge and serve until it becomes a beautiful, vibrant, joyful part of your life. But then the dedication is infinite. Once you have this relationship with God, God is my Father, dedication is infinite. You're ready to exceed yourself, exceed your nature, go beyond your limits, beyond your life. Even if it means risking your life, there's nothing you won't do for your Father if you have that relationship. If you realize how precious that relationship is, how real it is, how personal it is, how intimate, how deep, how reciprocal, how infinite, un- unconditional. And that we get from Moshe. That way of reflecting our Jewishness and having a personal relationship, that we get from Moshe. Okay. You want to continue? On top of page 656. Only, only the blow from Moshe, Moshe's son, son, is present in the soul of all Israel in a manner of 
obscurity and concealment. But to bring forth this hidden love from its latency and concealment to a state of revelation, so that it would be manifest in his heart and mind, is not beyond reach, not is it far off, but it is very close to you in your mouth and heart. That is to say, it should be habitual with his tongue and voice to arouse the intention of his heart and mind. For the sound of one's voice arouse the devout concentration of heart and mind. So as to immerse his thought in the life of life, the blessed for he is literally our true father and the source of our life. And to awaken our love for him like the love of a son for his father. And when one accustoms himself to this continually, habit will become nature. Okay, so he's saying the whole Tanya is based on the verse, Kikara Velacha Hadavar Ma'oid Bifichal Vavchalasai, that being Jewish is something that's very close to you in your mouth and your heart to do. So here he translates that it's something that's very close to your heart, but how is it close to your heart? Through your mouth. By saying it. Just by saying it, the nature, the power of saying things, your voice has the power to evoke your heart and your mind. That's the nature of a voice. Your voice reveals what's going on inside. When you speak, your voice, you reveal what's going on inside. So when a person, when you hear yourself, it evokes, because things can can remain dormant. But then when you hear, you say the words of prayer, and you hear the words, and you, you hear the words, or you hear a voice, you sing a song, you hear a voice, it evokes, it stirs something inside of you. So the voice is very helpful to evoke an inner response. So this love is innate, is inherent. But how do you evoke this love? How do you stir up this love that you should feel it? It's through the voice. It says, Beficha, through the mouth, you will reach Bilvavcha, your heart. By saying the words, you evoke, you will stir up this love within your heart, which will lead you, La'asoyse, to actually do the mitzvah, to study the Torah and do the mitzvah. Because once you have this relationship to God, God is my Father, and you have this personal, intimate relationship with God, then there's nothing I won't do. I want to study Torah, I want to do mitzvot, because I know that this will please Hashem. I know how much pleasure this gives Hashem. It's not about me. It's not about me feeling alive. It's about doing what Hashem wants. I know how, how precious this is to Hashem. I know how much He wants it. I know how much He cares about me studying Torah and doing mitzvot. I can't do enough. I love my father so much, I can't do enough for him. Whatever, whatever I can do to please him. Put a smile on his face. And that motivates me to study Torah and do mitzvah. So that's what the verse says. Beficha, through your mouth, that's the way to, to, through, to your heart. Through the voice, that evokes. That's the power and nature of a voice. It has the ability to evoke 
and stir something within, something that's there already, that's dormant, but it has the power to evoke it and to stir your heart, make your heart come alive, and then that will lead you to do, to act. So when a person's just by saying and listening to yourself when you say, listen to the prayers and say, Avinu, my father, referring to Hashem as my father. It's a very loaded word. Not just saying it, but actually meaning it and paying attention to what you're saying. Avinu, Hashem, you're my father. I'm your child. I'm your son. That, that's, a, that's the closest relationship that exists in life, in this world. The deepest. Avinu. And we have this relationship with Hashem. And we can talk to Hashem like a child talks to a parent. And we, love, we can love Hashem like a child loves, loves his father. Hashem loves us. That's, that's, very, that's a very loaded statement. That's heavy stuff, very intense stuff. But by saying it, you can help you evoke these feelings in your heart, that you start feeling that way, even though it's difficult for us to evoke this feeling in our heart. But by saying it, suddenly you start feeling it. You know, you say it often enough, and you pay attention, you say it sincerely, you'll start feeling. You know, Hashem, you're my father, and I can, I can talk to you, and we can, uh, you know, we can... We have this relationship going on. You're always on my mind. I'm always on your mind, and you're always on my mind. Avin. So that's the advice that he's giving. That through the mouth, to keep the flame alive, which will lead to action. Because by speaking the voice, that, like, that will help your heart concentrate. Concentrate your mind and your heart. That to immerse yourself in the thought that God is the life of life and that He's literally our true Father and the source of life. And therefore, to evoke a love just like a child loves a parent. And when you accustom yourself to it, human nature is that the habit becomes human nature, second nature. If you do it often enough, it becomes second nature. The first time you say it, you can't relate to it. But by the second, third, and fourth, fifth time you're saying it, and you mean it, you start becoming familiar with it, and then suddenly it becomes second nature, and that's how you start thinking about Hashem. That's how you start thinking about your relationship. God is my Father. He's the source of my life. He's, he, gave, he gave birth to me. He's my child. He's, I'm His child, and I have that relationship, and I love Hashem. And um, after a while, this becomes second nature. This, you reorient yourself how you think how you view how you look at Hashem and your relationship with Hashem now the question is maybe it's an illusion what do you mean an illusion it's an illusion because honestly I don't feel this love Hashem do I really feel this unconditional infinite love for Hashem Burning in my heart. Yes. Okay. You're very fortunate. I do. You're very fortunate. I don't think about it. I feel it. That's, that's very special. Um, I can speak for myself. Most of us don't. <laughs> you know, you're kidding. <laughs> Some, sometimes, but, you know, I'm talking about on a daily basis, 24-7. Sometimes you pray and you don't feel any fire. You, you, know, you, go, you feel like you're going through the motion. You don't feel that fire. Sometimes you don't feel inspired. 
Sometimes you have to force yourself. I don't want to learn. I want to do something else. It doesn't always come naturally and instinctively. We're not the tzaddik, you know. Sometimes we're tempted to do something wrong. Yeah, and then I don't feel so intensely that God is my father and I'm ready to sacrifice my life. I'm not even ready to sacrifice. Forget about my life. I'm not even ready to sacrifice my momentary pleasure, my silly, silly momentary pleasure for God. God is ready to sacrifice my life. A juicy piece of gossip. Close my mouth. No, no. You know. After, after the session. So come on, let's be honest. I mean, so here we're saying God is my father and I'm closing my eyes and I'm thinking God is my father and I have this love. But how real is this love? Is it, is it momentary? Maybe I feel it when I pray intensely. I focus, I close my eyes and I think about it and then I feel it. Maybe I get a glimpse of it. Maybe at that moment it is real. But then I close my prayer book, I go upstairs for breakfast, I go out into the world. It all vanishes. Father, now father. You know, the material world beckons. My temptations beckon. And suddenly I forget all about that inspiration. And my heart is pulling me in a different direction. So, in a way, that's what he calls an illusion. Because it's not lasting. It's not 24-7. But it's real. It's only when you defer. Like, yes, all that you're saying is true. 24-7... I'm not aware of what, but when I'm quiet... Oh, so I that's what he calls an illusion. Because yes, when you're quiet, when you have special conditions, and it's a time of prayer, which is an auspicious time, the heavenly gates are open, and your soul is open, and you're in the... And of course, and it's on a holiday, and it's on a Shabbat, and it's a special moment. Of course. But that's an illusion because it's not real. If it's real, it's 24-7. What do you mean you feel it in special when you close your eyes? When I stop living in this world, I feel it. When I go to heaven, I feel it. But when I'm walking down Park Avenue, I don't feel it. So in a way, that's an illusion. In my daily life, it doesn't carry on. So in a way, that's because illusion doesn't mean it's a lie. Illusion is everything it doesn't, else. It, illusion, illusion doesn't mean it's a lie. He's not referring to illusion as a lie. God forbid. That moment is a genuine moment. Because deep down, we all have this relationship, very deep relationship. But it's an illusion because it's not lasting. I can't hold on to it. It's like a dream. It's illusory, and then I wake up and the dream is gone. It was beautiful, a beautiful dream. And it may be inspiring. The whole day it'll be a different day because I had a beautiful dream. But it's an illusory. I, I can't hold on to it. If you can't hold on to it, that's also illusory. It's not real. The tzaddik lives it every day. Moshe lived it 24-7. He felt this intense love 24-7. But if we don't, that's what he calls illusory. Illusory doesn't mean a lie that I'm faking it. It doesn't mean that I'm pretending. No, maybe when you close your eyes when you're praying, you do feel it. But since I can't hold on to it, that's also illusory. In a, in a certain sense, it's not real. But it's an awareness. It's an awareness. But since I can't hold on to that awareness because I'm not in a state of meditation and awareness all the time, I'm a real live human being who's down to earth, who's going about my business. So that's illusory. It means it's not real. Now, in a way, it is real because I can always reproduce it. Just like in science. How do you know something is real? You can always reproduce it. So you can take it to the laboratory and you can always re- reproduce the results. I know I can always pray. I can always close my eyes. I can always put myself in, a, in, in the right frame of mind. And I can always reproduce this feeling. So, of course, that's why it's, that's why it's not a lie. It doesn't mean illusory. It's a, it's a lie, God forbid. No. Because at that moment, you're feeling and experiencing something that's very real. You can always connect. But in a real sense, it's still called illusory because 
the fact that I can't hold on to it, like a dream, I can't hold on to it. I wake up and then it's gone. It's very, the impression, I'm left with the impression, I'm left with a good taste. Maybe the whole day I'll be a little, a little more inspired because I had that experience when I closed my eyes and when I prayed and I said the Shema. But, since I can't really hold on to it, that's what he refers to as a loser. So the, you can ask yourself, who am I kidding? Come on, I'm a real person. Well, what's this? It's real, certain moments, when I, when I create ideal conditions, certain, but in my day-to-day life, in my real life, 24-7, I don't feel God is my father. I'm not ready to sacrifice my life, and I'm not ready to sacrifice a lot of other things. You know, momentary pleasure, silly pleasures for God. So, so who am I kidding? So, am I being hypocritical? Does that, does that make that moment any less real? That's what he's telling us now. Don't be concerned. You want to hear me? I use the theory to him to recite that this is an illusion, and that in truth is not the best support for God. Mm-hmm. Uh, thinking that he does nothing less than delude himself as to his true spiritual status, he need not be concerned. This is intrinsically the absolute truth, even without his own spiritual service, by virtue of the hidden love with which his soul possesses for God. Exactly. So therefore, that's the answer. It's not an illusion. Because deep down, your soul feels it 24-7. Your soul has this level of love 24-7. The parent-child relationship is an objective fact. It's not subjective to your feelings, whether you feel it or you don't. Whether you appreciate it or not. Whether you're conscious of it or aware of it or want it or not. The relationship is there. It's a fact. It runs deeper than life itself. It, it's, it's everything. It's, it's the deepest thing we have. It's, it's that infinite connection that we have through our parents and life continues. It's, that relationship is there. That core connection is there. Whether you feel it or not, it doesn't change reality. doesn't change reality, exactly. But it's there. So therefore, the moment you meditate and reflect on it, for those brief moments, it's as genuine as it gets. Because it's reality. You're talking about reality. This is not Hollywood. This is not the delusions. This is not, I'm trying to be something other than myself. I'm, I'm trying to delude myself that I'm some mystic, some holy mystic, and, and being some otherworldly person. And Come on, I'm down to earth. No, no, no. You're being genuine. That moment is a genuine moment. Because deep down, you have this moment all the time. You don't feel it. You can't access it. You're not conscious of it. But it doesn't change the reality. Our soul has a life of its own. Our soul feels things that we don't feel. Our subconscious, we're not even aware of our subconscious. There's a whole reality going on inside of us that we're completely oblivious to. We're totally unaware of. It doesn't change the reality. The fact that there's things going on inside of us. So this relationship is innate, is inherent, it's there all the time. The parent-child relationship runs very deep. It's infinite, it's unconditional. It's there. Whether you tap into it, you don't tap into it, you feel it, you don't feel it, it doesn't change the reality. Just like the Torah says, honor your parents. Whether they deserve or they don't deserve. Whether they're acting like it or it doesn't. It doesn't change the facts. The fact is that they are your parents. And you honor them. Period. End of discussion. No ifs, maybes, or buts. It doesn't matter how you feel. Personal. Where you're at at life. How they are. Good parents, not good parents. doesn't change the fact. It's a reality. Parent-child relationship is a fact. It runs deeper than life itself. It's everything. So that relationship is there. So therefore, don't, don't worry. Well, maybe it's illusory because I can't hold on to it. 
you can't hold on to feeling it consciously it, in, in, in its intensity, in its depth, in its clarity, but it doesn't change the fact that that relationship is real, as genuine as it gets. There's nothing more genuine in your life than that relationship. So therefore, the brief moment that you think about it, and you meditate and reflect on it and close your eyes, that's a very genuine moment. And if it leads you to action... Is the benefit derived from the spiritual service to which he affects its emergence and be open is that he should translate it into action. But his love in a state of concealment cannot be not affected by action. That's why you have to meditate and reflect on it. What's the point of meditating and reflecting on it if it's not genuine? If I can't sustain it? If it's illusory in that sense? And the answer is there is a tremendous benefit of meditating and reflecting. Because by meditating and reflecting, you bring it out into the open, and that motivates you to study Torah and do mitzvah. Once you feel that connection, you feel that you have, it's like a parent-child relationship, you jump up. I want to do Torah. I want to do a mitzvah. I want to give my father pleasure. I want to put a smile on his face. That's what I live for. So when you live to give, uh, to give pleasure to your parent, and to give him nachas, and you want to put a smile on their face, you want to make them happy, and you know the only way to make Hashem happy is by studying Torah and doing mitzvah. Hashem doesn't care about your bank account. He doesn't care how many Ferraris you're on. doesn't care how many homes you own. doesn't care how many times you mention in the celebrity in the celebrity paper or whatever, uh, the only thing Hashem really cares about is Torah and Mitzvah. So if you love Hashem that much, then you jump up and you study Torah and Mitzvah. But what if parents don't deserve, you know, uh, they don't deserve this covet? Hashem says every parent deserves a covet. For one reason and one reason only. They brought you into the world. They gave you the gift of life. Everything else is icing on the cake. The difference between non-existence and existence is the greater than any difference you can think of between an impoverished existence and a rich existence. They gave you the gift of life. They chose to have children. Um, and for that, you have to treat them almost like a god. For that, the Torah says you have to respect. Because God says you have to respect. Even if they don't act in a respectful way. And even if they don't deserve it. So much so, the Torah says, if you're the president of the United States, and your mother comes along, and you're on live TV, watched by hundreds of millions of people, and your mother comes along and slaps you across the face, you have to respect her. How is that possible? What a dastardly act. Because the Torah says, Hashem says, I am telling you to respect. If Hashem tells you to respect, then you respect. Whether they deserve respect or don't deserve respect. We would respect God. We do anything for God. So God is telling us, respect Him. Because the reality is that relationship doesn't make any sense, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, they're not like Rifka, and they're not like Rachel, and you know, they just didn't treat you like those kinds of parents. So, I mean, how could you possibly respect them in those same? You know what I'm saying? The Torah doesn't say oh. respect the Rifkas and Rachels. I don't think it's as much as no love them, it's just acknowledging. Just acknowledging. They didn't do the right thing, they're humans, let them slide. But just acknowledging. Don't, you know. The same thing with children. Okay? The children don't show you the respect, and you constantly go out of your way and go out of your way to try to get their respect. And they don't do it for whatever reason. Shut them down. Shut them down, man. You're the father. They come to you. They don't want to come to you. 
That's their issue. Okay? The, the, that's, you know, that may be personal or whatever. I mean, you're dealing with a very uh, idealistic situation. No, here. no. The Code of Jewish yeah. Law is very clear about this. The Code of Jewish Law doesn't say honor parents only if they're like Rebecca, Rachel, and Leah, the no, tzaddikim. Yeah, no, you have to be your parents, man, no but, you know, if they're not doing the right thing. That's, that's, that's the size. The, 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 the Code of Jewish Law is very clear. You have to honor your parents. You have to honor your parents. There's, there's no, there's no. There's what do you no, mean by honor? The Torah spells it out. It's, it's not left. It's not very. Respect. You have respect. You have to treat them respectfully, because they're your parents. Period. End of story. The Torah is very clear. Listen, your argument is not with me. Take out the code of Jewish law and look at the look at the look at the kids of Shulchan They didn't give you what you they got gave from they, your parents. They gave you life. That's all. That's all. That's, 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 that's all. That's it. That's it. That's it. Even if they give you nothing else. But it's more than that. As a matter, as a matter of fact, it's very interesting. It says, the commentaries say, it says in the Ten Commandments, when the Ten Commandments are repeated in Deuteronomy, it says, honor your parents like I commanded you. In Murrah, Hashem already commanded them. Why does the Torah say like, Hashem, like I command you? So one of the commentaries, I believe the Chassam Sefer says, or the Ksav Sefer, he says, because just like a Jew in the desert, a Jew in the desert, what did his parents give them? The children. What did the parents give their children? Absolutely nothing. Food? They gave them life. That's enough. That's they gave, right, they gave them nothing. They food? They, did, they didn't provide them with food. You know where they got their food from? Manna from heaven. The parents didn't provide the children with anything. Clothes. That was a miracle. It grew with them. It came from heaven. Water from heaven. The parents gave their children nothing. What, they, what did they give them? Life. And that alone, the Torah says, honor you. That's that's what they're talking about. That's honoring your parents. They are our parents. We can't change that fact. You can't change the fact. You can't divorce your parents. It is your essence. That's the link, the infinite link that goes back all the way. Without your parents, there's no link. There's no connection. This is the in- infinity within us that through, through our children and our parents, that, that, that infinite chain that can go on forever and ever. For that alone, that they gave us life, they gave us existence. If someone, God forbid, had a choice of, of God forbid, changing existence to non-existence, the change from non-existence to existence is much more dramatic than the change from an impoverished existence to a wealthy existence, to an enlightened existence or to an unenlightened existence, Um, a painful existence, a joyful existence. If you had a choice... You know, you have to give up your wealth and live an impoverished existence, but you'll continue to exist. Oh, God forbid you lose your life. We know what our choice would be. I'd rather live. So life is everything. Life is everything. Our parents gave us life. Period. Everything else is icing on the cake. Everything else is incidental. The fact that they gave us life. Period. They are God to us. Hashem told us, treat them like God. They are God to us. Respect them. They are our parents. It's a fact. It's a reality. Now, it's it's of course it's very painful. There's nothing as more. There's nothing in life that could be more painful than than than, than child abuse because no one could hurt children like parents. Because parents are God to us, and and you know we can't process in our mind that something is wrong with our parents. 
And that's the most painful, the most damaging thing in the world. So, of course, if we grew up in a dysfunctional home, it will, it will affect us very deeply and very profoundly because of that relationship. Because that relationship runs so deep, that's why the damage could also be so painful and so deep. But the relationship is there. You can't pretend that, that relationship is not there. The Torah says, don't pretend that relationship is not there. The relationship is there. And that's why they can do so much damage. And that's why it's so painful and hurtful. But that relationship is deep, unconditional, infinite. It touches your very core in essence. And that's why, God forbid, you lose a parent. It shakes you to your core. Like your whole foundation, a crack in your foundation. Yeah, your, home, your home is cracked, yeah, fine. So you call in a renovator and you renovate your home. Your foundation is cracked, forget it. It's a crack in the foundation. You need a whole year just to come to yourself. You can't. So that's a reality. Torah is just telling us the re- fact of life. That's the reality of the relationship. You can't run away from that relationship. And even in that pain, you see how deep that relationship is. It disturbs you so much, so deeply, because that relationship is so intense and so powerful. There's no running away from it. You can't just dismiss it. Oh, okay. I don't care. No such thing. You do care. And you care very deeply. And you see that even in, in the dysfunction, how deep it is. Now, of course, that's the tragedy. Because life is so real that it's like in marriage. Everyone is married, but some people take 1% out of marriage. Some people take 5% out of marriage. And the lucky few take 100% out of marriage. That relationship is there. It's two half-souls. But some marriages are very mediocre or very superficial. and They never, go, never get to any place deeper. And some people are fortunate enough or they're refined enough or they're, that they're able to take out 100% out of the marriage or close to 100%. But even the one who takes only 5% of the marriage, the marriage is a fact. Two half-souls are connected and married to each other. It's a reality. But it's up to you how much you're going to take out of it. The same as our relationship with God. We have that relationship with God. But how much are we going to take out of it? Is it going to remain buried and submerged? And we walk around with this, with this anger and this tension. And, you know, in the one extreme, you can become a self-hating Jew. Or you can, you can be in love with Hashem. I love you, Jewish and every day is you, you, every day you live you live a full life a meaningful life a fulfilling life a rich life a, you're alive as a Jew every day of your life is alive and you feel you feel um, lucky and how, how special it is to be and, and how privileged it is and what a, what a and then every day you live the maximum you live your life to the maximum that's the tragedy that every Jew has this potential, but when a Jew is not living up to that potential, it's very painful. That relationship is there. A Jew is a Jew is a Jew. There's no running away from it. As dysfunctional as it is, a Jew is a Jew is a Jew. Even in that dysfunction, especially in that dysfunction. But it's a tragedy. When you have so much potential, so much potential love, and so much, and it's just not instead of being in a, in a light place, a very dark place, instead of, instead of being illuminated and energized and energetic and vibrant and joyful place, when a person finds himself in a very negative place, that's, that, that's the tragedy. And that's what we're discussing in these chapters. A Jew has to develop a love for Hashem. 
you know, you have to be energized as a Jew. You have to feel alive as a Jew. You have to love it. And the Torah mitzvah should be alive. With heart and soul and feeling. Okay, let's, let's just conclude. Since the revelation of this love leads, in fact, to increased performance, he should not be troubled by the fact that he may be deluding himself in thinking that he possesses this love when in actuality he does not, particularly since his soul does truly love God. Concerning this, it was said that a good thought is joined by the Holy One, blessed be he, to a deed, providing it with the wings to soar upwards as explained earlier. In chapter 16, we learn um, the conventional understanding of this statement of the rabbis is that if a, if a person had a mind to do a good deed, but he couldn't do it, whatever reason, circumstances didn't allow him to do it, so God considers as if, as if you've done it. But then the language makes no sense. The language should have said that a good deed, Hashem, will consider as if you've done it. The language, the literal translation of what the rabbis say is, Hashem joins the thought with action. Means that there's thought and there's action, but they're disconnected, and Hashem joins the two. So just on the literal meaning of what the rabbis are saying, the language makes no sense. Because we're talking about a case where a Jew had a thought, a positive intention, but he never fulfilled the intention due to no fault of his own. Something happened and he couldn't do it. But the fact that he had a positive intention, you wanted to do the mitzvah, Hashem will count it as, as if you've done it. But if that's all the rabbis meant, they should have used a different language. The fact that the rabbis use this language, the rabbis also hinting here to something deeper, in addition to the literal meaning of this passage. And the deeper meaning that they're hinting at is that there's, a, there's times that a Jew, there is an action, and there is a good thought, and the two are disconnected. Because when a Jew does a mitzvah with energy, with love, with energy, then the, the mitzvah soar. The mitzvah are alive. They soar to heaven. Heaven is a spiritual place. In order for the mitzvah to soar, you need spirituality. You need energy. So when you do the mitzvah with love, with energy, you invest the mitzvah. The mitzvah is alive. Then the mitzvah can soar. But if... But if you... If you do the mitzvah without energy, without love, let's say all you have is a good thought. In your mind. In your mind, you're aware. All you have is awareness. I'm aware that God is my Father. Does it excite me? No. Is my heart on fire? No. But I'm aware of it. And I acknowledge it. And I accept it. But to say that I'm passionately in love and my heart is melting with ecstasy and with love and with fervor, it's just not like that. So therefore, it doesn't really influence the action. The actions are cold actions, dry. I'm doing the action, but it's lifeless. It's like, in my mind, I have that awareness. I have that focus, that concentration, that awareness, that kavan. I know that God is my Father and that we have this relationship and this very profound and deep and unconditional and infinite relationship. But to say that I'm on fire and I'm excited about it, no, I don't feel anything in my heart. Nothing stirs inside my heart. It's up here. What do you do with the ego? So that's a, no, no, not ego. Not ego. I'm thinking about God. I'm thinking about God as my Father. I have a relationship with my Father and a parent-child. I'm ready to do anything for my Father. But it's cerebral. 
It's intellectual. It's abstract. It's cold. Like the intellectual is a very cold person versus the emotional, passionate person is warm and alive. Actions are influenced by the heart. The emotional person, when you talk about something that you love or you care about, you get excited about, the words are passionate, the speech is passionate. It's a different speech. When you do action and you're doing something that you love to do, it's a different action. The actions are alive. Versus if it's cerebral and mental and it's abstract, it's distant, it's remote, just like the intellectual is a remote person. He's not available. So remotely, yes, I'm aware that God is my father, but my actions are very cold because it skips my heart. It's in my head, and based on my awareness, I make a decision, okay, I'm going to study Torah and do mitzvot. But to say that it's alive, that I'm, uh, I'm passionate and alive, and I'm burning with flames, with fire, no, I don't feel any fire, and I don't feel any flames, and nothing is stirring in my heart. It's just an awareness and an acceptance in my mind, an intellectual acceptance. And based on that, I go forward and act appropriately. I go ahead and do the Torah and do the mitzvot based on that intellectual idea. But the mitzvah itself is like dead. There's no life, life in it. There's no passion. The mind doesn't translate into the action. It, acts, it translates, it gets me to act, but it doesn't directly, it's indirect. It doesn't directly influence. The heart directly influences the action. The action comes alive. The mind doesn't make the action come alive. So that's what the Talmud is hinting at. Nevertheless, if a Jew has a positive thought, uh, an awareness, and based on that awareness, he went ahead and acted, and did the right thing. Hashem will connect the two. So I have action, I have thought, but there's no connection. I don't see the connection of the action, the intention in the action. Hashem, nevertheless, goes ahead and connects the two. So that's what he's saying, that even though it was your mouth, your voice, that aroused Vilvavcha, that aroused some feeling, but not really. It wasn't a real stirring of the heart. It was more like an awareness, a stirring of the mind, but not in the heart. But it led me to Lashayta to act. So, nevertheless, Hashem will consider as if the mitzvah was done with energy, as if this mitzvah has an energy that can cause the mitzvah to soar, to take off. It can leave this world, and the mitzvah can be elevated to the higher worlds, to the higher realms, to the spiritual realms. The mitzvah comes alive. Only God can do that. Because God sees deep down within a Jew's heart. And God knows that deep down, a Jew is on fire. Even if you don't feel it. But deep down, you are on fire. Even if you feel nothing in your heart. You feel dead inside. But your soul is on fire. Whether you feel it or not, it doesn't change the reality. There's so much more going on inside of us than meets the eye. Thank God we're not who we think we are. There's so much going on. What we are aware of is just is this tip of the tip of the tip of the iceberg. So much more is going on beneath our surface. The soul has a life of its own. The soul is on fire 24-7. So when God sees that you're sincere, and God sees that you have the proper awareness and the proper intention, and based on that awareness, and you're taking it seriously, based on that awareness, you're changing your lifestyle. You're actually going ahead and doing the right thing based on that awareness, then Hashem already connects. Hashem, who knows the inside of the heart, the inside of the soul, reveals that really you are on fire. And therefore your actions, even though the human eye, the naked eye doesn't see anything, the naked eye looks at this mitzvah and he says, "Eh, a cold mitzvah. You're going through the motions. It's just technical and mechanical. What religious significance could this mitzvah have if I'm just doing it and my heart is not into it? Based on an an intention and an awareness. Hashem says, don't be fooled. Hashem sees things that we can't see. 
Hashem sees in this mitzvah the fire. He sees the energy. And therefore this mitzvah soars. As if you would have done this mitzvah with heart and soul. Because deep down you are doing it with heart. Even if you don't feel it. So Hashem makes that connection. That's what he's saying here. So even though you don't feel anything in your heart, it's a, and that's why it's illusory. Why it's illusory? Because it's not, it's not, I'm not really on fire. Even when I close my eyes, and I have these conditions, and I, I, I'm aware of it, but it's not like I'm really on fire. I'm burning up with passion and fire. It's an awareness. It's an intention. It's more cerebral, more abstract, than I'm jumping with joy, and I'm dancing with joy. Come on, let's be honest. But nevertheless... Since it, it, it motivates you to act, Hashem will already make all the connections. Okay, we'll take a last question and then to be continued. There's a lot of things that Hashem does that we don't really understand and it looks actually damaging, but we know it's very good. In that sense, I guess you can look also on parents sometimes and, and, and also give them that benefit of the doubt, you know, that they did meant good or, or there's a good there's a greater good but it's just not apparent the truth is it, it takes a, that takes a very great person to be able to step back and realize you know parents are shaped by their parents you know if we think about the world that our parents came from what they had to live through as immigrants to a foreign country. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's a miracle that they function all together. So, you know, you have to appreciate it. You, can, you know, you have to realize, take everything into consideration. What, how they grew up, what a harsh life they lived, the conditions that they grew up in. I mean, they, they did the best that they knew. They didn't know any better. They never studied Hasidus. They never had Tanya. They never had all. They were never exposed to any of this stuff. And yet, they, they tried the best that they knew. They didn't know any better. You know, you, you also have to be, it's a greatness of a person to be able to step back a minute and say, wait a minute, wait a minute, you know, let me put things into perspective. They tried the best that they can, and it's a miracle the way they grew up. Who knows how damaged they were as children, how they grew up, how they were treated, you know, beaten, spanked, hit. who knows how they grew up with harshness, and, you know, it's enough to wither anyone's soul. Very little love, and you know, so you have to you have to be a little. But that takes a greatness to be able to do. It. You know, when you're in pain and you're suffering so much, it's very hard for you to step back and to be so big, be such big of a person, and be able to say that about your parents. It's a very loving thing, not to be judgmental and to be able to really step back. It takes a very great person to be able to do that. And you're right. Ultimately, everything is divine providence. Ultimately. Whatever happens to us, ultimately, is by divine providence. Ultimately, it's for our good. And in a way, we become stronger from all these experiences. You know, if we learn to not to be paralyzed by these experiences, not to become dysfunctional as a result of these experiences, then they can only strengthen us. And as Jews who have faith, we have to believe in that. that that's our faith. Ultimately, God is good to us. Why did God put us under such circumstances. God is not out to hurt us. So we didn't choose these circumstances due to no fault of our own. If God gave us these circumstances, ultimately, just like pain and suffering, ultimately it's for our good. We may not see it, but ultimately if we learn, instead of to wallow in our pain and feel sorry for ourselves and 
become dysfunctional and use that as an excuse for being dysfunctional and uh, to carry on the same dysfunction, um, if we really make something of ourselves and, and, and not be paralyzed by it, then you'll, you'll look back, you'll see you only became stronger as a result of this whole experience once you learn to rise above it. So, how far back does it go? You know, all the way to Adam, <laughs> the first sin. <laughs> Adam and Chava. Are you kidding? Every, every, they feel the same. Every uh, mother gives Absolutely. Do they feel the same source that we're feeling? You know? I kidding. In other words, you go back and back and back. I mean, every mother gives birth to a child <laughs> during child labor. Curse, mean, curses Chava. We take uh, Leia. <laughs> You know, unfortunately, Leia, you know, what she had to suffer through compared to Rachel, right? Yeah. That's what we say. We sinned, and my father sinned. Our parents sinned. What are we saying? Our parents sinned. Why are you insulting your parents? You want to confess your sins? Confess your sins. Why are you schlepping your parents into this? The answer is because the fact that we're still sinning means that there is we were affected by the previous generation you know because we all, we all affect each other we, we don't live we're not in a vacuum if our parents would not have sinned if they were perfect we would also be perfect it's, it's, it's we're all affected we all affect each other and we are affected so them it won't hurt already because they're already in the world to come and they're already they're already in the yeah. next world so, but, so we want to say Tashem listen Hashem a little, a little mitigating uh, I said, listen, you know, we came from a dysfunctional, uh, our parents were a little dysfunctional, so what do you, what do you expect us? <laughs> the world is dysfunctional, uh, our ancestors were a little dysfunctional, so you expect us all to be perfect and sadiq, and yeah, take it into account. If we're trying to give a little mitigating, uh, right. This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com.